I've, I've spent decades as a worship pastor, and I still have this thing in my brain that happens where I get done like the singing, and then I think, it would be great to sit down and hear the sermon this morning. And then I think, oh yeah, that's me. Um, keeps happening, especially this week. Uh, it was nice to have some time away, and good to be back with all of you. Everyone wants to know, uh, you know, how was your vacation? I went to the Grand Canyon, so that was fun. Um, of course, just unlike anything you can really see in a picture, it's just incredible. And I also went to a U2 concert. Uh, there's a new venue that's been created, especially for music concerts. It's called The Sphere. And I saw them in just this incredible, technologically advanced uh, facility that's in the shape of a sphere. And the, the projecting image is 18K. I don't know what your TV is at home, but 18K is probably a lot bigger. It's something like, I don't know, 500 feet tall, the sphere that you're in. It's, it's unbelievable. So this summer we had a series on wonder, and I got to experience the wonder of the beauty that God has created in the world, and also the wonder of sort of human technology and artistry, and that was a great time. So I cashed in a bunch of my air miles that I've been saving up for years to make it happen, and it was good to do something really, really different, a once-in-a-lifetime experience. So, But it's left me, when I went out, I was adjusting to a four-hour time difference, and I never got it by the time I was gone. And then when I came back, I've still been adjusting. And all week long, I've been having a hard time sleeping. It's like 3 a.m. before I fall asleep. So I'm, I'm here wondering how sensible this will be today, <laughs> which, let's be honest, is going to be like every week. <laughs> so let's begin. Have you ever asked the question or, or made the statement, that's not fair. If you've got kids or you remember being a kid, it's one of the most common things you'll hear kids when they're playing. You'll hear, hey, that's not fair. I want that. You took that from me. That's not fair. I didn't get his pieces bigger than mine. That's not fair. As you look around the world, I'm sure that you see and notice things every day that you look at and say, that's not fair, that's not right, that's not the way it should be. And last week, as John was talking about justice, what he led us through was an exploration and a recognition, and what we've been singing about already in the songs today, was this recognition that, yeah, there is all this kind of stuff in life that's not fair, but Jesus, in the end, will come and make it right. He'll make things new. And so what we want to do today is extend that conversation on justice. This isn't going to be so much in Ecclesiastes today, but while we're in the neighborhood of justice, this is a great theme for us to take a little bit more time on because it touches all of us. It touches our whole world in some way, shape, or form. And in Ecclesiastes, in the very beginning of it, we hear the voice of Solomon reflecting on that as well. Let's go there now. Ecclesiastes 1, 14 and 15 says, I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. And as he looks at everything here on earth, everything under the sun, that's his assessment. And you might resonate with those words. You might say, yeah, there's a lot that's wrong in the world, and it doesn't seem like it can be made right. It doesn't seem like it can ever be fixed and recovered. But what the ultimate thing of Ecclesiastes is, is it pushes us to look beyond the sun, look beyond the earth to the one who is above it all, who created it all. 
And as we look to Jesus, we see one who comes with the power of God to come and make the world right, to make it new and whole once again, to recover what's broken. This verse in other translations says to take what's crooked and make it straight. And that's what's announced by uh, John the Baptist in Jesus' coming. The roads wandering through the wilderness will be made straight. So as we look at this topic of justice, we recognize there's many things wrong in the world, and they seem like they can't be made right, but Jesus ultimately will judge everything. He'll fit it all together, make it all right. Let's go to the next slide here. Ecclesiastes 5, we see uh, a very similar thing. We see this expressed. It says, don't be surprised if you see a poor person being oppressed by the powerful and if justice is being miscarried throughout the land. For every official is under orders from higher up and matters of justice get lost in red tape and bureaucracy. Even the king milks the land for his own profit. So he says, don't be surprised when you see injustice happening throughout the land. Not saying that it's right, but he's saying, don't be surprised, it's so common. Have you ever been stuck in bureaucracy and red tape? You ever felt like you fell through the cracks, like you weren't noticed, like something didn't go your way and that was unjust, that someone who had the responsibility to care for you didn't, that the things that were due to you didn't come because someone else's selfishness? Here, we hear the voice of Solomon saying, even the king, you can see him pointing to himself, even the king, even the king milks the land for his own profit. If we're honest with ourselves, every person in the world has some element of selfishness within them. And in some of us, it's all the more evident. And that selfishness leads us to take from others, to make sure that others don't get, to use whatever advantages and privileges we have for our own benefit, to milk the land for our profit, and other people go without. And because of our selfishness and brokenness in the world, injustice is so commonplace that we shouldn't be surprised when we see it. It doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's fair. It doesn't mean that's the way it's supposed to be or that that's the way it has to be forever. What's the heart of God in this? Well, is there a king who doesn't milk the land for his own profit? Go to the next slide here. This is uh, from, I think, Psalm 82, yes. And here we hear the heart of God. God presides over heaven's courts. So we heard about the courts that were unjust and that were broken, where people used uh, even the places of courts and power for their own advantage rather than for others. God presides over heaven's court. He pronounces judgment on the heavenly beings. So not even heavenly beings will get away with anything. How long will you hand down unjust decisions by favoring the wicked? And then it says salah, or interlude. And what we're meant to do at that moment is to stop and think about that for a while. It's probably, for the Psalms, it's probably a musical break and the instruments are going. This is where it's like, not guitar solo, they didn't have guitars, this is lyre solo. But we're thinking about the unjust decisions that favor the wicked. And God is speaking against those things. This is the heart of God. He says, give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and the helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. So what we're hearing from God is he does not like the way that it is. And he opposes anyone who acts unjustly. 
And then the end of the psalm is, Rise up, O God, and judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. And what we have is a comfort that even though things might not be fair here on earth, even in our time under the sun, there will be a day where it's made right, and God will judge and, and reconcile all these differences. That's the heart of God for us. It's to see justice. We see that now. We, we see a king who will not take advantage of the people. We see a king who will not milk the land for his own benefit in Jesus. And the people were longing for and looking towards the coming of one who would set things right. In Isaiah, in the Old Testament, we see a prophecy made. Let's go there now. This is a prophecy that we often hear at Christmas time in Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. There will come a day where the Messiah comes to earth and makes things right, makes things fair and just. And his government, the way he organizes the world, his kingdom will be right and true. And no one will go without, no one will be oppressed, no one will take advantage of another person. He will see to it. The government is on his shoulders and he makes it happen. Justice. Beautiful. That's the heart of Jesus. In fact, when Jesus comes, we see that all the more in Jesus' life. Let's look now in Matthew. Matt, no. Go back one. Yeah, sorry. Thank you. I didn't call for the right slide. Jesus, you're, you're following me too well, Cameron. Don't listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what's on the slides. <clears throat> That's my son, by the way. Jesus. What do we see in Jesus? Well, he welcomed people of different ethnic and religious backgrounds. This is John chapter 4. This is the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. He welcomes her despite the fact that she is ethnically different from him, religiously different. In fact, also there's a gender barrier there, and he welcomes her. What did Jesus do in John chapter 6? He fed the hungry. Jesus protected the safety and dignity of women in John chapter 8. Here there was a situation where people were trying to test Jesus. They brought out a woman who had been caught in adultery, and the law said to stone her, and they were all ready to do it. And they were like, Jesus, can we do it? And Jesus is like, where's the dude? <laughs> Why is there only one person if she was caught in the act of adultery? But what Jesus says is, let the person who's without sin cast the first stone. And then they all go, oh, wait a second. I got to go. And they realize that none of them are without sin. Jesus healed the sick in Matthew chapter 8. People who were sick and dealing with chronic issues, he healed them. Jesus uprooted unjust financial structures in Matthew 21. Jesus opposed the unfair religious leaders in Matthew 23. Again and again we see in the life of Jesus, Jesus bringing about the justice that was promised in Isaiah, the justice that we've all longed for and that's so lacking in our world. Jesus doesn't milk the land for his own profit. Jesus comes to bless, care for, and make things right. And as we look at Matthew 23, he is speaking out in opposition to the religious leaders. You can go to that slide now. And in that verse, this is a, a chapter where Jesus speaks with the absolute clarity. There's bite to what Jesus is saying because he's opposing their unjust behavior. Jesus says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, He's like, you should know better. And then he says this, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. 
but you ignore the more important aspects of the law. Justice, mercy, faith. You should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. What Jesus is saying is, you've done all the things that make you look outwardly religious. You give a good offering at church. You maybe serve in the nursery, or you you do things around your neighborhood, or, or you outwardly look like you're trying to do the right thing, like you've got it all together, you're a good person. But in your heart, you're missing out on the most important things. You're missing out on justice, mercy, and faith. You, you, you make a big show of counting even the herbs that grow in your garden and then tithing just 10% of them back to the church. Oh, look, even my herbs I've given to the Lord. But you're unjust, you don't care for the poor. You're ah. And Jesus says, what's most important it's not those outward signs, but it's that you have a heart that's like God's heart. That you pursue justice and mercy with the people around you. That you pursue God in faith. And you act with faithfulness in all things. And Jesus says, let's do what's most important here before we worry about those little things like herbs. Jesus says, justice, mercy, and faith. And what you might not re realize is that Jesus is referencing another Old Testament prophet, the prophet Micah. And Micah speaks against that outward show and display of religion, and he says this. What does the Lord require of you? What does God want from you? What does God want from any of us? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Justice, mercy, faithfulness with God. That's what Jesus says, and that's what we are meant to be as people. And in the life of the kingdom, that's what we should try to pursue. But because of our selfishness, it doesn't seem to come naturally to us, does it? And we might say, well, you know, I'm not as bad as the next person, but let's be honest, every person pursues themselves usually before the others. Everyone takes what they can get. You might not realize how the way that your life impacts other people or the systems and structures of injustice in the world. Sometimes we just are oblivious to them. But if we stop and reflect and we begin to see how the privileges we have, the advantages we have, or whatever we take, whatever we get, it might come at the cost of someone else. We, when we think about that, what does that mean for us? What does it mean to, to do what God wants from you? What does it mean to do what God requires to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God? Today I want to take a few moments to tease out how we can do this life, how we can live justly. And uh, we're going to take three sort of sections for this. Let's go to the next slide. The first is we begin with prayer. We pray to align with God's heart. We don't jump straight to action and doing things. It, it might be tempting to do that. That's our gut instinct when we see something wrong. Maybe it's to stand up, to raise our fists, to oppose it, to what we do is we pray to align our hearts with God's heart. We pray so that we would know God's ways and that we would respond in God's ways. So that we would see the world in the way that God sees the world. So we'd see the things that break God's heart. So we would notice the things where people are overlooked. So we would see our own situation as one where we have caused injustice as well. Or when we experience injustice, to see ourselves within the bigger picture of what God might be doing in the world and bringing about justice. So we pray to align with God's heart because the reality is 
we're not there yet. We aren't there yet. So we begin by praying to align our heart with God's. I want to take you to a verse of scripture now in Matthew. Uh, This is uh, from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus collects some of his greatest teaching. John read uh, from earlier in chapter 5 at the beginning of the service. But here are some words you've probably heard before. Matthew 5, 43 to 44. Jesus says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now just take a moment and notice something. Love your enemy is in quotes. It's because Jesus is quoting an Old Testament command. But what he says is, you've heard and hate your enemy. He says, as people have taken what's in Scripture, love your neighbor, and added to it, hate your enemy. He says, that's not part of what it says. That's not what you're supposed to do. So he says, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but that's not the quote. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. So we pray to align our hearts with our Father. We pray so that our heart would be reflective of God's heart, that our heart would be shaped like God's heart. We pray because we aren't in line with him now, and so we pray that we would be like him, like our true Father in heaven. We pray to align our heart with God's. We pray for the other people around us, for ourselves. We pray for our enemies. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And when we come to a moment of injustice or we see someone else being uh, treated unjustly, the last thing sometimes we want to do is to stop and pray. We want to respond. We want to react. But what we need to do in those moments is to align our heart with God first and foremost. And what we need to do is pray for those people. What it's going to do is it's going to help us see ourselves differently. We'll start to recognize, you know what, maybe in some ways I'm not all that different from that person. Maybe I've done the same things to others. Or maybe we'll simply reflect and we'll we'll begin to see them not as some monster or an evil person, though they might be, but we'll begin to see them more with compassion in the way that God sees them as a child that's gone astray. We'll see the ways that they've been treated unjustly and harmed as well and recognize that perhaps what they need is a touch of God's mercy and grace. And as we begin to pray for our enemies, we begin to see them and ourselves and what God might be doing in that situation very differently. We begin to have the heart of our Father in heaven. And when we face injustice or we see it in the world, we need to start with God's heart before we do anything So we pray to align our hearts with God's. The next thing that we do is we pray to discern the third way. What's the third way? Well, in our world, we tend to think it's either this or it's that. You're on this side or you're on that side. It's black or it's white. One or the other. Pick a side. But the way of Jesus is so often very different from the constructions that we as humans have made. We say, oh, are you a Democrat or a Republican? Jesus would be a Republican. Now, I'm using American language because it feels a little bit less personal, but you can see it. And we say that, oh, you got, Jesus would be on one side or the other. Well, I don't think that Jesus was going to be either. I think he sees and recognizes good things in both and bad things in both. Jesus is other. He's a third thing. 
And Jesus is not the difference between black and white is gray. Jesus is not in the middle. Jesus is other. Jesus is purple. What Jesus calls us to is to not see the world in human terms any longer, but to see the world differently, to see a third way, a way that's not natural to us as human beings. Because we take our sides, we oppose one another, we fight and we war, but in the end, are we really changing anything? We discern the third way as we pray. Now, I want to take you to a verse in Matthew where Matthew is quoting Isaiah. These are the words of Isaiah that Daniel read for us earlier. But they are referring to Jesus, which becomes clear now in this moment. Matthew writes, This fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him, Jesus. Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious, and his name will be the hope of all the world. So what I want you to hear is this first. If you have been treated unjustly, if you are a flickering candle and a weak reed that is bent and broken, if you're hanging on by a thread and you feel as though you've got no hope left, Jesus is there. And Jesus does not stomp on you. He does not blow that flickering candle out. He does not break that reed finally once and for all. He comes to mend and heal what's broken. He comes to bring light and life. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will cause justice to be victorious. He will be the hope of all the world. So when you are struggling against injustice, when you see things that just aren't fair, Know that Jesus sees you. He identifies with you. He's been here. He knows the pain and suffering of injustice personally. And when he comes to make things right, he will not destroy you. He will make things new and whole. But look at the way that he does it. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. The way that Jesus brings about his justice is not the way of the world. When we have issues, what do we do? We raise our voices. We stand up. We fight. We make a big public display of things. That's not Jesus' way. That's not Jesus' way. He is no less powerful. In fact, he is more. But he doesn't do things the way that we humans instinctively want to respond with. He responds in a way that's good and better than we could imagine. And I can't tell you in every circumstance what that response will be. But I can tell you it's different, probably, than what your gut tells you to do right at the start when you're angry. So we need to pray to align ourselves with God's heart, and we need to pray that he would show us what that third way is, what that different way is that's beyond the human sort of capacity for action. That he would show us his way, the kingdom way, the better way the way that's above every other way. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will cause justice to be victorious. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. 
I'll tell you, I've seen a lot of Christians respond to various things in the world. Now listen, I'm not thinking of any particular thing right now, but this will cause some of you to think of very specific things. I have seen Christians respond to various things in our world in such a way that they have raised their voices in public, shouted and fought just like the world does. And they don't look any different from the world. Rather than showing the love of God in some way, they've shown the same animosity and hatred that the world shows. And that's not the way of Jesus. I've seen people use worldly tools to try to build the kingdom, and that won't cut it. We can't try to see the kingdom of God be realized in our world by building it with human tools. The human tools of aggression and violence, the human tools of manipulation, None of that is part of the kingdom, and it won't build it. Now, some of you are thinking of very specific things, and I'm purposely trying to keep my mind blank about any specific topic so that you begin to think about the way that you respond when you see things treated unjustly and recognize maybe your response is just like everyone else's, and it's not like Jesus's. How would we respond if Jesus was here amongst us? Would our yelling and screaming, would our petitions and everything that we do to try to affect change, would it really reflect Jesus' heart? If Jesus was standing in the room, would it really honor him? I can't tell you the exact answer for every situation, but I can tell you that we need to go to Jesus for the answer. We need to go to Jesus for the way. Go to this next slide here. Um, again, back in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. And what Jesus is showing us here is there's a third way. And the third way highlights the injustice without responding in a way that's wrong. Because many of our responses actually add to the problem in a new way. So what Jesus says is, learn to respond in a way that's totally other, so that the injustices highlight and even shame is brought upon the, the uh, person inflicting it upon you. Look at this. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, notice he says specifically the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Take your hand and put it on your right cheek right now. If someone was standing opposite of you, what would it take, what would they have to do to hit you on your right cheek? They could either use their left hand, which they're probably not going to do if they want to hurt you if they're right-handed. The left hand in Jesus' culture is also the dirty bathroom hand. I'll just leave it at that. That's not the way that people would hit each other if they wanted to do something. The way that someone would hit someone else, particularly to show their dominance over them, if you were hitting a slave, is you would hit them with the back of your right hand on your right cheek. That's how you would hit them. You've probably not thought about the art of war before. You've probably not thought about all this martial arts business or that Jesus knows the difference. But what Jesus is saying is, if someone treats you as an inferior and treats you with dominance, hitting you with the back of their right hand on your right cheek, then, offer them your left cheek. What does that mean? 
That means that they'll have to hit you with the right hand like this, which is the way you hit an equal. So highlight the fact that they are treating you unjustly and treating you as less than by forcing them to now treat you as an equal. That's a third way. That highlights that the person is doing something wrong. They're diminishing you and treating you as less than. That highlights the injustice. You might have two sore cheeks at the end of it, but everyone else that sees what's going on is going to recognize. And even that person might begin to say, oh my goodness, what am I doing? Then when he says, if you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. Go above and beyond what's happening. So in the Old Testament, there was teaching that if a person put up their clothing as a, a, like a, a, a guarantee on a loan or something, if they lose it, like they don't pay the money back, like you take their clothes. But like at the end of the day, what you're supposed to do if you're the person who's collected is you got to give it back because that's the last thing that they've got. And you shouldn't allow them to be undignified and disgraced in that way and cold at night. So it says you should be giving that back. So what he says is, if you're taken to, to court and someone sues you for the clothing right off your back, if they take the last thing that you own, offer them your coat too. Say, okay, take it all. Take it all. Because it'll highlight that they've treated you unjustly and unfairly. You're left with nothing. Stand there naked in front of everybody saying, look, he's got it all. And he'll be like, oh, well, I guess I didn't need to take that. Here, take this, put this back on. You're embarrassing me. Yes, that's right. That's exactly the point. I'm not going to respond with violence or hit back, but what I'm going to do is highlight there's an injustice going on, and I'm going to make it so it's obvious for you, for me, and for everybody watching that this is wrong. And I'm not going to fight back, but I'm going to show you. If a soldier demands you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Soldiers in that day were allowed to mandate to anybody at all to carry their pack for a mile. What he says is if someone demands something that's forceful from you, Give them something else, too, because now that highlights, oh, you're taking from me something that you don't deserve. You're treating me unfairly. What Jesus teaches us is there's a third way. There's a way that's beyond what our natural instincts leads to, but it shows life and goodness. It shows justice. These are really hard things to do, but they're the right thing, and they pr produce real change that looks like the kingdom. Next, uh, the last thing is that we pray for courage and strength to act. When we have listened and longed for and sought after the heart of God, and when we have asked God to reveal to us a third way, a different way, a godly way to respond to injustice, then we pray that he would give us the courage and strength by his spirit to act in a way that is just. Because, man, it's going to be hard. Man, it's going to seem unfair. Man, you're going to take some a real beating doing that probably. Whether it's you personally in the injustice or you speaking up for someone else. It's going to be hard. But it's the right thing to do. So pray that God would give you courage and strength to act in the right way, the godly way, the Jesus way. I'm not going to use a verse. I think we've started to see clearly a little bit of what it means to be like Jesus in these moments. And you can understand why courage and strength is necessary. But I want you to begin to reflect on some of the things that are unjust in our world, as if you've never seen any of them before. There's a list. Some of you look around our city, but it's becoming a problem all over our country and in many places around the world, affordable housing. Some people just can't afford to 
well, to live in a house, or if they do have one, they don't have enough money for anything else. It's a real issue. And there's people who have the means for housing and they take it all and they take advantage of others. Food security is a major issue in PEI. It's often unseen, but PEI is one of the least food secure places in all of Canada, particularly for children. Which is one of the reasons why we do kits of kindness here, where we collect foods so that over the weekends, kids will have food available to them so they don't have to go hungry. They know they'll have some food. We've stepped out in that way. It's praying for strength to act, and we've tried to act. Some of you know the pain of racial discrimination because of the color of your skin or the color of someone else's skin or the country that they come from or the tribe that they're part of or the language that they speak or that you speak. You've been treated differently, poorly. Some of you know that people here, even in our own city, will write down a different name. They'll adopt a Canadian white name for their resume just to get a call back. That's not right. Some of you know about insider privilege, and that's a thing here on PEI. Who's your father? Oh, you're not from around here, eh? You come from away. And you know that the way things get done here on PEI is you got to know somebody. But what if you don't know somebody? You're an insider. It works for you. That's great. But what about the person who's an outsider, who doesn't have an opportunity, who doesn't know anybody? who can't get a call back, who can't get a job, who doesn't have a connection. That's not fair, that's not right. Some of you think about accessibility issues and someone can't get into a building or can't participate in an activity just because there's no ramp. Or you know, like if there's some, something that they just can't do because there's no elevator into that part of it and they can't go, I guess you just can't be part of it. That's not right. Some of you know about refugees and the, the situations that some of them are in all over the world. There's places where people have been in refugee camps in paper shacks and, and tarps over their roofs for decades now. And they have no access to health care, no access to education. Children are being raised without enough food, without any ability to learn to read or write because they don't have a state anymore. Their country dissolved. They don't even have a passport. They can't go anywhere. They've got nothing. Some of you are indigenous or First Nations. Some of you know indigenous people or you reflect upon the plight of the indigenous people here in Canada and you say, what's being done there is not right. It's not fair. Some of you see poverty and you want to respond. There's sex trafficking. There's all kinds of stories being told about whenever the Super Bowl happens or the World Cup or something like that, thousands of women are brought to that city in order to satisfy the needs of ugly men. Sex trafficking happens in pornography, and you might think that it's far removed, but it's real close at hand. It happens here in PEI, too. People get captured and dragged away from their homes and their families, or moved to another part of the country, used for their body, diminished as human beings, treated as property. Women's education, women often don't have opportunities, like they do here in Canada, to learn, to even have the opportunity to learn to read and write, and then somebody dies, maybe their spouse, their husband, they don't have the ability to fall back on something. They've never learned how to read and write. They don't have the same access to education. That's not fair. And suddenly they're left raising their kids and they've got no means to support themselves. Slavery is still an issue in the world. And the effects of slavery here in North America are still a very real thing, even here in Canada. There is no shortage of 
examples that we could give, and you have your own personal stories, but all of these things become personal at some point. And you can think of your own ways that you've seen and experienced an injustice, and Jesus comes for all of it. Jesus comes to make all of it right. And Jesus alone has the power and ability to change things and make things new. Jesus' way is better than our ability. Even when we step forward and do what we can, it's often not enough, or it causes other problems. But the way of Jesus is entirely different, and it's above and beyond what any human being could do alone. And Jesus can meet all of these needs and make all things new. He is our hope that justice will be victorious. He alone is our hope for that fair, righteous world to exist. For the world to be the way that it was intended to be, to be good. And so now, as we reflect on these things, may we recognize God's own heart. May we discern what God would have us to do in His way. And then ask God to give us the power and strength and courage to do whatever it is he asks us to do for our sake, for the sake of others, that the kingdom of God, the justice of the kingdom of God would be present here and now. That's the way it's going to be. And we can be a sign of that future even today. So we're just going to take a moment to pray, and I'm going to leave some silence, and I'm going to let you just simply pray for God's heart to be your heart. I'm going to let you pray that God would... Um, show you a better way to respond to the injustices you see and experience in the world and give you a space to pray for the courage and strength to act in whatever way God shows you to act. But we'll pray and then I'll, I'll close us in a moment. Let's do so silently. Father God, we pray that we would be your true children. That we would have hearts like your heart. That we wouldn't be blind to injustices around us and things that are unfair for other people. And that we would not be blind to your ways that are better. We pray that as we recognize here in the world the things that are wrong, that are not right, that are unfair, that we would also recognize you are greater still. That you are able to do far more than we could ever dream in making things right, restoring things. Thank you that when we feel like a flickering candle, when we feel like a bent and broken reed, you don't throw us away, you don't push us aside, you don't blow us out. You restore and you heal. You came with the fragility of a human being, even a baby, you know what it's like to experience this world and the pain of it, as well as its joy. And you know what it's like to, to see and hear and recognize the suffering of others and want to respond. And you alone have been able to respond in a way that's perfect and good. So show us your way. Give us your heart. Give us your spirit to act like you act. 
May your spirit strengthen us and give us courage to do and be all that you would have us to do and be. That your kingdom would be represented well here on earth by us as your people. That your life and your love, the person of Jesus, would be evident in us. That we would be your hands and feet. But Jesus, may we act justly. May we love mercy. May we walk humbly with you pursuing the life that you alone make possible, a life of justice and righteousness, truth and goodness. In your name we pray, amen. I wouldn't normally uh, end a service with a song we've never sung before, but this is just the best song for it. And uh, some of you may know it, but uh, it's maybe unlikely. I'm going to ask you to stand anyway. Maybe you can just tap your leg like this if you don't know the song, or clap even if you dare, or, or maybe if you don't know what to do, just raise your hands, close your eyes, and do one of these. But listen to the words, and may they be a prayer for us that we would do exactly as Micah 6.8 says, we would act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. It all comes down to this What you require of me Love my neighbor as myself And you above all things Act justly Love mercy Walk humbly With you God In all things in all ways walk humbly with you God it all comes down to this to be your hands and feet good news to all the world the truth will set us free. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with you, God. In all things, in all ways, walk humbly with you, God. It's beauty for ashes, it's morning to dancing, Closer and closer, the kingdom of heaven. It's beauty for ashes, it's morning to dancing. It's closer and closer, the kingdom of heaven. Years from now we'll see the fruit our hands have sown faith just like a seed the only way it grows act justly love mercy walk humbly with you god in all things 
things in all ways walk humbly with you God act justly love mercy walk humbly with you God in all things in all ways walk humbly with you God great new song. Loved it. Um, yeah, I just want to, um, I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you all as you go this week. Uh, just before I do that, uh, I just want to mention I made a mistake. I thought yesterday was the last day for pledge cards, but actually today is the last day if you've been prepared considering submitting those. Um, also, baby shower this afternoon at 2. And I'd love to ask a big favor um, if some folks could take, I think, the first four row of these chairs, form a circle, and then push the rest on this half of the room up against the wall. That would be great just to help out those who are setting up for the baby shower. Please join me in a word of prayer. Jesus, help us to discern. Give us guidance. Lead us as we seek to act justly, uh, to love mercy, to walk humbly. Let, let you be our leading and guiding light um, in our everyday lives. Um, I just pray for everyone here that uh, you would protect them, that you would uh, help them in whatever injustices they face, but um, that you would use us all as your hands and feet uh, to be reflection and to bring your kingdom here now um, as it is in heaven um, and as a foretaste of what is to come. In your name, amen. Have a fantastic week.